Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. First, I'd like to start out reminding you that you ought to go to wealthformula.com. Check it out. There are all sorts of resources there. When you listen to this podcast, you're only getting a segment, a small portion of, of all the things that are available to you. You've got all sorts of downloads from me and from sponsors, et cetera, on producing taxes, how to invest in real estate, things like that. You can also get a free copy of my book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth in Amazon number one bestseller, but for you, free on a PDF format. Just go to wealthformula.com and download that. Or you could text me. You can text me at 44222 and type wealth formula, one word, 44222 and type wealth formula, and you can get a copy of that in your inbox. Now, switching gears a little bit to today's show. You know, I have an interest in the brain. I used to be in the neurosurgical world briefly before I realized that it was a lot of work and uh, I didn't like waking up in the middle of the night, so I had to leave. But, you know, our brains are funny and they've evolved over time and the way they've evolved is sort of strange. I mean, the same things that make us wildly successful in life have the potential to make us absolutely miserable. This is one of the very cruel paradoxes of the high-achieving, high-paid professional. You see, after all, we are strivers. We have very high expectations of ourselves. And you know what? That's not a bad thing at all. I don't care what anybody tells you. And I would be lying to you if I told you that I'm any different. Obviously, I'm not. I mean, what am I doing here? I'm talking about getting wealthy, right? The problem is that expectations can make you miserable. In fact, some say the key to happiness is in life is low expectations. I think that's kind of funny. Anyway, I guess I can see that, but I'm not going to convince you, the high achieving professional or me, to set our expectations lower, nor should we. Listen, we type A personalities were designed to conquer, to be tribal leaders, to push the limits for the betterment of humanity. And without people like us, we'd still be in the Stone Ages. But on the other hand, we have to tame that beast within. We got to identify that our expectations are that, exactly that. And they are dynamic, right? They change. They constantly change as we continue our journey through life and through success after success. Think about it this way. You're a caveman, right? Just because you took down a 2,000 pound buffalo doesn't mean that the hunt's over. No, no, absolutely not. You're going to move on to the next hunt. Why? Because that's the way you roll. Those are your expectations. 
And that's okay as long as you don't confuse expectations with destination. A destination is very, very different. What's your destination? Well, your destination should be where you can find fulfillment. What I have been calling on this show, holistic wealth. I like that term. Now, we type A's sometimes have a lot of trouble finding it, that place, that destination. So some of us could use, well, a little bit of help, a little helping hand to get there. And fortunately, there are some who are literally built to help guide us, to be our Sherpas towards the pinnacle of wealth, self-actualization, and happiness. One such Sherpa is my guest today on Wealth Formula Podcast, and her name is Dr. Colleen Crowley, and she specializes in helping high-achieving, high-pay professionals find true happiness. So when we come back, Dr. Crowley is going to give us the lowdown on the human condition of the high-achieving, high-paid professional. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Dr. Colleen Crowley. Now, Colleen is a clinical psychologist and therapist, and she's been doing that for nearly 20 years. Dr. Crowley's calling in life is to support people as they work to increase happiness, well-being, and self-awareness. She's particularly relevant to the Wealth Formula community because of her extensive work with high-paid professionals. Now, Dr. Crowley is originally from Colorado, but has spent much of her adult life in Santa Barbara with her husband and three gorgeous kids. And I know that because she lives down the beach from me. And (laughs) when we started talking about what she does, I had to have her on the show. Welcome, Colleen. How are you? Thanks, Buck. I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. This is really great. I just, you know, I've had so much fun talking to you and I just thought, gosh, wouldn't it be great to have you on the show? Well, likewise. Yeah, good, good, good. So I wanted to kind of, you know, set the stage here. I mean, tell first of all, how did you become a clinical psychologist? So let's see, you know, I studied psychology in undergrad, but I was kind of thinking more medicine, to be honest. And then I, I took a trip around the world after I graduated from UC Santa Barbara. And I traveled for a little bit over a year and I went to about 35 different countries. And I just came home from that experience, you know, particularly intrigued by the human condition and what motivates people and people's stories. And I was fascinated. And I think I knew that was the direction I wanted to go in. So I've worked in a lot of settings over, you know, my career, homeless shelters and residential treatment facilities and but I've been in private practice for the last 15 or so years and and absolutely love it. Yeah. So you have an interesting niche that includes 
you know, there's a, you, you have a number of different types of clients, but certainly one of your niche that was interesting to me was this mm-hmm. one that sort of describes, you know, our demographic on Wealth Formula Podcast, which is this high paid professional crew. How did, how did that end up happening? Was that just because you live where you do? Mm-hmm. Or? I think it was to be, to be honest, a little bit. I was in private practice in Carmel, California for a long time and now in Santa Barbara. And the reality is, is they are affluent communities and I'm, you know, largely a referral-based therapist. So you start working with a couple high-paid professionals and they refer you to their colleagues and their friends that they're working with. So I've worked with it a lot and and start to see really, you know, unique patterns emerge as a result of it. Yeah, that makes a lot why, of sense, right? Yeah. Same people, right, which, same problems, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, n- no one's story is the same. The details are obviously unique and different. And and I really value hearing those details, but you do, you do start to see patterns for sure. And, and it's part of why I was so thrilled to hear you talking about, you know, addressing whole wealth, I think, is that what you called it? Holistic wealth. So, yeah, I mean, that's part of what, you know, I think a big part of wealth formula is in my view is there's always this question of what exactly is wealth. And a lot of people think about it in terms of money immediately. And certainly money is a tool for creating what I call holistic wealth and holistic wealth yes. being more sort of, you know, financial wealth, wealth within your, you know, your human body, uh, your happiness, spirituality, blah, 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 everything that makes a person, you know, happy and, and potentially self-actualize. If you're doing it right. Right, right. right. And I think, you know, unfortunately, so many times, what I end up seeing is these high-paid professionals who have, you know, tremendous professional success and financial wealth coming in and saying, you know, something's not quite right. Oftentimes, it's a partner or a child that's pulling them into therapy because the, the family system is off, which we can talk about, or yeah. their health is compromised, or they just feel like they, you know, have achieved what maybe the culture or their family of origin has suggested will result in ultimate happiness, right? And it's and it's just not there. Yeah. So what are <laughs> what are some a- of the common themes that you hear in this demographic? I mean, I, every story is different, but certainly some sure. commonalities are things that come up frequently that that tend to trigger unhappiness. Right. So so often, right? Like I said, they these high paid professionals who've a- achieved a lot um, to their credit are very likely experiencing an imbalance in their life in other places. So like I said, so often they come in as part of, you know, maybe a marriage that's compromised because they are preoccupied with their career. They're working too much. They're traveling too much. And, you know, for so many of these professionals, it's become their identity in so many ways. And so, uh, you know, a marriage or a, a child might be saying to them, you know, what, what about us ultimately? So very often I see that. And to be honest, Buck, you know, a lot of times the temperament that, that creates these high paid professionals, not always, but can very often be sort of type A, you know, self-diagnosed type A. They'll tell me you yeah, know, they're driven, sure. they're motivated, and, and it's resulted in, in their career working out for them, you know, or, or finances working out for them. But ultimately, those are not the best characteristics to have really healthy partnerships or relationships with your children or a balanced life as it relates to your health or activities. I mean, what we know is that a fully developed life is what I like to call it, which is balanced, is what creates, you know, the highest levels of happiness. And this is 
really thoroughly studied universally. And so often I think, you know, in American culture, there's still an overemphasis on financial success or success with career. And you end up chasing, you know, never ending desires or things as opposed to experiences or balanced relationships. So I, you know, I see those, those patterns emerged, you know, just as sort of a gnawing unhappiness, despite the success that they thought would get them there. I right. see a lot of compromised partnerships. I, I see children saying, you know, I don't see mom or dad. They're gone for weeks at a time. They're always focused on their career. And then they try to plug back into the family and think they know what we need or what we're doing. And it, and it doesn't always work out. Yeah. The thing that strikes me is, is that I think the, this is of course my demographic, right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. really where my origin is, which I'm trying to crawl out of this cocoon, but the, um, <laughs> the, the, you know, I think the, I think the problem and one of the major problems I think is that we are driven and we're driven right. and we have tremendous expectations for ourselves. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, that in of itself doesn't have to be a problem, although George Carlin had a great quote. You know, I think he, he said the key to happiness in life is low expectations. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, think, I think that's a fantastic quote, actually. And that, and that brings up sort of this interesting idea, right, where I, I work with plenty of successful people who aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily have that really high bar or expectation set for themselves. It's a little bit more of a balanced temperament, if you will, despite having success. And it is really interesting to see because they tend to recreate more. They're more flexible and fluid in their partnerships. They're not necessarily as high strung. All of these, you know, temperament and character traits that often make these really successful humans. But what I do know is that this is why the high paid professional that oftentimes gets dragged into my office by husband or wife or child or their own sort of unsettling feeling that something's not right is it's an incredible opportunity to, you just said, stepping out of your cocoon to, I mean, I like to say sort of getting your ego knocked off its axis, which is, I am a big believer that, you know, it's through relationship. It's through sort of examining your reality that we're supposed to stretch and soften those edges, right? And and grow towards others or towards a more sort of balanced self. I mean, we could all sort of be left alone and continue, you know, with our sort of high achieving ways or type A temperaments or personalities, but it doesn't result in happiness. The work is to stretch and grow towards something more balanced. And it's hard. You know, it's really hard. I mean, the, the people that are bosses at work you know, oftentimes think they get to sort of come home and, and that's how they sort of negotiate family life. And, and unfortunately, oh, I've heard that one before. that's not yeah. how it works. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, when I start to see so many relationship challenges and it's a really wonderful opportunity to say, Hey, wh- like, where do I need to, to grow or stretch, you know, in a different direction? Yeah. Yeah, it mm-hmm. does. It does. And, you know, one of the things that I think is also comes to mind is, you know, the expectations. I don't, uh, you know, I actually don't think that it's bad to have high expectations or problematic. The, I think the bigger issue is not having a destination, 
right? Because sure. the the issue for me is that 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 I see and that I've seen seen in myself until fairly recently is that mm-hmm. is that you think you to yourself the sky's the limit. Well, that's right, but do you really want to go right. to the sky, or are you trying to go somewhere specifically? And what is that destination? I had Dean Graziosi on the show mm-hmm. a while back, and Dean was talking about you know this idea of you know being this, this super high powered you know jet plane flying at you know mm-hmm. seven hundred miles per hour, but not really having a destination. So what good does it do you, right? And uh, so I, I think that's such a great point. Right, Absolutely. Right. So if you do have a destination, what you can potentially do, and the way I think about it is that. If you can, if you can target that destination, which I think of in terms of mission or self-actualization, then you can use that same, same force, you know, that a lot of us have this incredibly strong force of entrepreneurship or, you know, or like you, you were talking about, you have a lot of neurosurgeons. I'm an ex neurosurgeon too, right? I do. And, Uh and, and you use that energy and that force to channel yourself to a destination, then it can become something that is actually a very productive element of your own personality that you don't have to necessarily mitigate, but that you learn to use in productive ways. I think that's absolutely spot on. And, And that kind of speaks to, you know, a really sort of relevant issue as it relates to all of this, which is I think being deliberate and conscious about the kind of life you want to cultivate. And I don't, I think what I find is that so often, you know, maybe you do the four years, maybe you go to grad school, you become a neurosurgeon, and this is what I see. And then you're working your tail off for a a long time and you look up and say, wait a second, the goal has changed. You know, I want different things now. Now I'm in a partnership. Now I, you know, want to travel more, recreate, whatever that looks like. And I don't think there's enough of that. And so, so often in therapy, it's a wonderful time to pause and and re-examine it and say, okay, what is this sort of fully developed, you know, balanced life I want? And then, like you say, go after it with, you know, these incredible sort of characteristics and the disposition that has afforded you success elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, tell me uh, some, some of the tools that you use to try to get people to sort of get to this point or maybe identify what it is, what they want in their life. Yeah. So it's funny. I often say, I mean, it's a success that you just find yourself in my office right? I mean, the fact that you've sort of slowed down long enough and identified that you need to be here is a, an enormous step. And then from there, you know, it, it's a process of uncovering what sort of specifically is going on with each individual. And self-awareness is enormous. And I think it's the key to happiness in so many respects with, you know, regards to your own well-being to that of relationships to success in the workplace is, you know, what am I, what am I like in the workplace? What am I like to be in a partnership with? So to really sort of cultivate this, this awareness of what you're like, what you're working towards, what the goal is creating, you know, and it it doesn't have to be sort of concrete, but at least sort of a nebulous idea of, of what you're working towards and, and us, you know, really working to unearth that and uncover that and see how far off from that goal they are and what what ways they can strategize to get closer to that. You know, for instance, 
you're talking about, a neurosurgeon. I, I've worked with so many over the years, ER doctors, you know, really high, high in, in, you know, the food chain professionals that have to devote, you know, their entire lives to their profession. And it really becomes their identity in so many ways. And so this opportunity to look at that and say, is this all I want? No, actually, you know, I, I, I want to foster stronger relationships with my children or create more of a balance outside of work. And so that's what we, we kind of do in a, you know, a slow and methodical way and to create a, a, a stronger sense of well-being and, and more, you know, self-awareness. Yeah, you know, it it reminds me when <laughs> you know, so I left neurosurgery as a neurosurgery resident and I remember right. I remember one of one of my attendings. He wasn't mm-hmm. talking to me, but he's ta- he was talking to somebody else and I overheard it and and he said, "You know, there are two kinds of neurosurgeons. There are great <laughs> neurosurgeons and those and then there are neurosurgeons with hobbies." <laughs> And so when right. I heard, I heard that I was like, right. "Whoa, am I in the wrong place? Am I, I'm in the wrong place." Well, you because know? I mean, and how did you interpret that? Right. Well, That's- the sad thing about it is that I I kind of agreed because you know the the interesting thing about in residency is you see some things happen and you kind of know what really happened versus you know what you know what the the, the company line was or so to speak but i i've seen you know i saw like momentary lapses of of sphincter tone okay right. and that had that ultimately resulted in death yeah. And and so so that's I think what he was he wasn't talking about a specific situation, but but uh, like that. But but I saw I saw it, you know, somebody decided that they got a call and and they decided that they made uh, made rationalized to themselves that they didn't need to come in. They didn't mm-hmm. need to do something or whatever. And it resulted in a death. And, and right. you, it was so easy for that to happen that right. it would be virtually impossible for a human being not to have one of those moments. And mm-hmm. when you have those moments, you react, you can react in a couple of different ways. Either you're going to, you're, you're going to say, whoa, that's never going to happen to me again. And now from now on there, you know, I have to react constantly and you can get do that and that's why neurosurgeons you know uh, it, it, the program that I when I went to med school they had a over a hundred percent divorce rate what that yeah. meant was that you know they had been you know married and divorced multiple times and uh, yeah. so more more than there were staff and you know my chairman had been married to more than one Miss Texas <laughs> so right I know but these are impressive statistics maybe Absolutely. not the, the best for your life but but the point being <laughs> that if you and believe me there there are a handful of neurosurgeons that seem to be able to balance it all but for the most part what I found is that when you get in these situations you you do get to a point where you realize that if you are going to go down the road you want you're going to have to give up something else and mm-hmm. and really that's what gets into people's heads early on and that's what residency is all about right sure it's funny I I, I hear those stories and you're right and and there are certain professions that take unique amount of focus and perseveration and with, I mean, you know, (laughs) death as a consequence, you know, but major. However, I have worked with those people and I think that creating a balanced reality 
despite sort of having these all-consuming careers, is absolutely possible with some self-awareness and direction. And it's just becoming aware of what your, you know, your reality is. So for instance, you know, I, I, I worked with an ER doctor for, for years, several of them. And obviously they have to have acute focus, right? When mm-hmm. they're working, but when they come out of it, so many families, you know, struggle with mom or dad who then isn't necessarily present or taking the work home with them. And so what we work to do, you know, together is, is for them to work at sort of being present when they're not in that work environment. And just by simply paying attention to that, you can see dramatic shifts in, in a family structure, right? And all of a sudden, mom or dad is sort of more emotionally available or present and experiencing whatever's sort of going on in the family life where they realize, okay, when I'm out of work, I need to go take care of myself somehow, right? Go for a surf or a run or a hike. And just by sort of being deliberate about seeking balance in their life and this often overused term of being present can have, you know, dramatic effects. And it is possible even with those yeah. Extremely demanding. Well, yeah. And and to your point, it's I think the issue is less about time because it's not like, you know, even these guys were on call 24 seven. I mean, they were. Sure. I mean, if they were on call. Yeah. But when they're not. Right. What happens is you get this Pavlovian response, you know, <laughs> right. this constant sort of, you know, I've described this sort of to my wife, who, you know, well, yeah. where where you get into this pattern where it's almost like PTSD, right? The the little things that the little things that, you know, that happen at in the office or, you know, in in the hospital or whatever your high paid thing is, create you you create a parallel at home. And it could also be your two year old, you know, doing something that that drives this intense, inappropriate response like that, that 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 is is something that you carry home with you and that's that's a very difficult thing to break but to your point i think awareness uh is is a key factor now when you talk about awareness colleen i mean a big part and something that i've been trying to get into more and more Mm -hmm. uh, is meditation so what what's your experience i mean is this something that you advocate Tell, tell us a little bit about it and because I know, you know, you, you're up on this stuff, right? Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So I think that it quite possibly is the most effective tool for, uh, you know, addressing quality of life that we have. So going back to this idea of you saying, you know, that the PTSD and taking your work home with you. I mean, all of this relates to sort of lack of presence or mindfulness, however you, you know, whatever language Mm -hmm. you want to use. I'm cautious because I think when you say meditation, people start to sort of think it's this, you know, really woo-woo practice and it's not, Mm -mm. right? So Mm -hmm. all meditation is about is getting you embodied. So actually in your body, in the present moment. And from that place is where we should all strive to function from, right? So, and, and that's transcendent, right? When you realize, okay, when I'm in the operating room, I'm in the operating room, right? When mm-hmm. I'm at, you know, the high intensity board meeting, I'm all 
I'm all here. When I'm with my children on a hike, I'm right here, right? When I'm with my wife talking to her as we're making dinner, I'm right there. And that's all about being present and being embodied. The practice of meditation is just the strengthening of that muscle is Mm -hmm. how I put it, right? So that's all that. So people go to yoga class, right? Or a meditation class and I laugh, right? And they, they, I don't laugh at that. I think it's fantastic. And they're, they're practicing this incredibly important act of getting embodied and present in the moment, which is all we have. And the idea then is not to leave there and become, you know, depressed, anxious, high strung, you know, unfocused, unpresent mess. It's to, to have strengthened those muscles and carry them with you throughout your life. And so I have been practicing meditation for mm, plus 10 years. And, you know, Buck, I can tell you that it has completely changed Mm -hmm. my nervous system and my reality. I'm a mother of three. I am a psychologist. I have another sort of funny side you business. Do. And I, we can talk about I that do. A bit. <laughs> no, and, but so for me, it is overstimulation, right? Yeah. I mean, there is so much going on in my universe, despite the, the fact that I try really hard to, to not overschedule us, right? Or to create balance in life. And so what saves my life is, and I share this in hopes that it helps someone else. And I deal with this all the time in therapy is I meditate about six times a day for about four minutes at a time. And it completely changes my life because it allows me to get present and focused and conscious because otherwise with that much stimulation, you know, it's virtually impossible. And so I am thrilled to hear that you're doing it. Well, I'm trying. And everyone, like mm-hmm. everybody, here's the problem with here's the problem with people like me. We don't have time to <laughs> meditate, right? It's like yes, you're yes, like you do. No, no, I know I do, but that's what you tell yourself. You're like that's right, right? I don't have time. When am I gonna? When, right. when am I gonna meditate? My problem. Here's yes. the thing. Okay, one thing I want to tell talk about because I think you're absolutely right. I think meditation gets a bad rap because people yep. think of it as some weird hippie Eastern European thing. Yes. But there is tremendous medical studies behind this. There there are yep. tr- tremendous amount of data. But here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I do best, Colleen. I'm really good. Okay. I'm really, really good at making things understandable for people because I'm not smart enough to understand them at a complex <laughs> level. So I have yeah. to break them. I didn't them. want to tell you that. You know, yeah. it's true. You've, you've probably <laughs> noticed. You've seen me out there on the beach. Not true. But here's. Here, I just want for my friends out there who are thinking meditation, whatever, dude, mm-hmm. here's what meditation is. Okay. Right. This is what it does. Here's what a good example of meditation is. Every mm-hmm. Sunday, mm-hmm. my wife knows that I am not to be bothered when I watch the Minnesota Vikings watch uh, play football. <laughs> That's right. And, and what happens to me during that time is my mm-hmm. attention is on the game and yes. and I am so involved and I've been wa- I've watched virtually every game since the age of five for right. Minnesota and and so every time I'm there I'm five mm-hmm. years old again. That's right. And and so what happens is I forget about everything else. I'm only watching football. I am only watching right. the Vikings. My emotions go up and down based on the game. Nothing else. Yep. And that, my friends, is meditation. That's exactly right, Buck. And so I so and I so often use this 
with people for the first time when we're talking about meditation, which is when do you feel, I ask them, you know, most embodied or perhaps happiest. And so often it's with an experience like you're talking about, you know, when I'm playing tennis, when I'm surfing, right? When they're doing something that does not allow them to be anything but completely embodied in the activity that you're doing, like you watching the game. And so there is such a reported, you know, level of well-being in these moments. And that's what I, I use to help people in beginning to cultivate that that's how you should be, you know, or what you should be striving for all the time, which sounds crazy, but it's about getting embodied in the moment. Like right now, you and I talking, you know, is it's, it's about really being present here in what we're doing. And then when we move to the next thing, really being present there and, and embodied, I call it a walking meditation. So it's not about sitting in the lotus position, you know, for an hour, it's about moving through life in a really present way. And, you know, as this relates to the high paid professional, this is so difficult for them because their work consumes them. They're focused and myopic on one goal, and it leaves them really feeling for want all other hours of the day. And so if they can begin to shift their attention and be present and embodied and sort of meditative, if you will, in all other moments, quality of life just goes through the roof. And this is what you were referencing. I mean, the science is there. And I mean, you know, you can <laughs> be read. behind the Vikings. <laughs> what did you say? I said the science of NFL football to the man. I yes. think this is yes. a this is I a think there is. study that needs to be done so that every Absolutely. NFL widow out there. <laughs> can you line this up in your spare time? I think it would be fascinating. I think it it's would be so great. true. But, you know, here's the thing is like, again, I, I, I think it's important to understand that because that's what we're really talking about. How can you yep. make like every, you know, a lot of the day that goes by that you're not doing what you're, you know, work stuff. How can you make right. it like watching football again? Like when we were kids, right? Right. And I just think about this all the time. Like the times, like things just seem different. Your senses just seem like sharper at given times. And you, yes. and you you remember like, you know, lying there in the summer and the heat and, you know, yep. playing outside and all these things that, that yes. are incredible sensual kind of experiences experiential things that as we grow older and we use the damn cell phone more and more to escape reality. Absolutely. I mean, by the way, cell phones are probably the opposite of mindfulness. And I I am, I'm as guilty as anybody else. And I know this to be true that when you have your cell phone on, it is the opposite of mindfulness. Absolutely. Uh, I agree. And I hate to be the downer around this, but I'm a huge critic of it. I mean, it, 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 yes. Do we need them? Are they important? Absolutely. Are we sort of creating a culture of young people where, you know, there's little to no sort of downtime, you know, neurologically? Absolutely. And it's terrifying. I, you know, work as hard as possible to stay off mine and encourage people to as well. And going back to that, you know, childhood analogy, I also bring up like when people travel, oftentimes, you know, their senses are heightened, their memory improves, they remember things because they're, they're embodied, they're in the moment and children are in the moment because they haven't, 
you know, fortunately been corrupted with thinking about the future, right? And full of anxiety or thinking about, oh, geez, did I, you know, the past and how did I mess that up? Or should I do, you know, something differently? They're, they're right there yeah, I in mean, the moment. They, you know, when I think of when I look at, you know, my, my two-year-old Clementine, who you know, when I see, when I see Clementine on the beach, I mean, she's oh, like the great. Buddha, right? She's like a little hellion, yep. but she's the Buddha That's because great. what she does is she just jumps around and plays yeah. and then she smiles. And then all of a sudden she looks down at a rock, right? <laughs> yes. And she picks up the like rock and she, it before, right, and she right? stares at it for like five minutes, you know, yes. and then she That's throws right. it and then she jumps yep. up and down as she watches it ripple. And, you know, I mean, it's like. That's extreme. Of course, we're not always going to get there. But again, that is mindfulness and trying to bring that back to our lives as much as humanly possible, I think, is what creates happiness. And if you can get in that space, it's going to make you a happy person. And some people think that if they get there, they're not going to be as sharp. They're not going to be as good. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? Quite the contrary, I think. I mean, you know, bringing it back, like I said, to, I mean, whether you're professional sort of at, you know, in the board meeting or performing surgery, or the more present you are, the more effective you're going to be. If anything, it sharpens, you know, your, your senses and your productivity when you are in that moment. Right. And it diminishes preoccupation, depression, anxiety. So I, it, I'm thrilled that you brought this up because like I said, it's, I'm hesitant because for some, for so many people who haven't heard about it, they do associate it with, you know, something that they're incapable of doing. And like I said, I meditate six times a day for four minutes at a time, right. With three kids and careers. And it is, and then through the course of my day, I am vigilant about being in the moment. And that's just a muscle that gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Right. The more you do it. So, you know, stick with it, Buck. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah I got to do I got to do that. It's just one of those things yeah. that like, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody else is just, you know, putting things off like that. By the way, so obviously you're up on this stuff. But, you know, when you look at meditation, you, you get mm-hmm. so many different kinds out there now, especially, you know, mindfulness. And, and you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Deepak Chopra and you know yeah. Oprah were talking about transcendental meditation. Like it, yeah. it gets massively confusing. What do you tell people when, when they ask you about that? I'm really careful about this because I think meditation is deeply personal. You know, I've found what works for me. I've helped support people as they find what what works for them. There is no shortage of support around it. You know, yes, Deepak is incredible. There's probably, you know, a thousand meditation apps on your phone that you yeah, can download. Yeah, there's that uh, 10% happier mm-hmm. one, right? That's mm-hmm. pretty one's really popular. Yep. People look yep. that up. It's really popular. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's a ton, you know, you can, uh, there. like I said, there's no shortage of it. I am a big believer in people experimenting with what resonates for them. So me recommending something to them has has never seemed to work because it, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's so not a one size fit all, fits all. It's, it's a, it's a deeply personal thing. So experiment, you know, download some app. YouTube has some fantastic ones. I, I don't listen to anything. I just sit wherever I can, the car pickup line, you know, in between patients and, and just walk through my own sort of mantra. Right. But so experiment, find what works for you. There's, you know, there's meditation classes everywhere. Yoga is sort of the physical practice of, of, you know, moving while being yeah, present yeah. and, and embodied. So, so try them out, just do it. Yeah. One is, way there, or another. is there any data on, in terms of how long you get, need to stick with something before you start seeing differences? Because I think sometimes people try it for a day or two and 
You're like, I don't like this and it's not doing anything for me. No, that's what I say. (laughs) It's it's a muscle that needs tending to for the rest of your life, right? For all of us. I mean, no matter, you know, who you are, it's something that will need to sort of be addressed for the rest of your life and tended to. So I, you know, don't set yourself up for failure. If you do it one day and then not for four, that's a success and keep at it. I think in our current lives, many people find, you know, taking an hour out of their lives impossible. So I say, start with a couple minutes, you know, do it in the morning before you get out of bed and, you know, before you go to to bed at night, those are, you know, really good and sort of doable times for most people. Right. So start small. Yeah. And it and it builds. Yeah. And you know, just for again, for those skeptics out there, somebody who I know has been meditating for about twenty years is a guy by the name of Robert Kiyosaki, who's going to be on our show very shortly, is obviously somebody that uh, most people uh, who are listening here have a tremendous amount of respect for. So if if a tough Marine like uh, uh, Kiyosaki can do it, he's tough as nails, man. He's tough as nails. Uh, right. Well, and if he can do uh, it and he has been a huge sure. advocate for this, then, then you're not too cool for it either. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, right. That's a perfect example. I mean, being a Marine, you have, you're not afforded any ability to not be present and embodied and ultimately focused on whatever task is at hand. So it'll be interesting to hear, you know, what his journey was to get him there and then how it's, you know, transformed him. I mean, what I have seen in terms of the changes for people, you know, in their lives as a result of this, and, and this goes back to what you're asking me, you know, before Buck is like, you know, how do you, how do you start to address these changes? It's all kind of part of the same, which is just becoming self-aware, right? Self-awareness and meditation go hand in hand, right? Creating, getting present with sort of what your goals are, what you want for a fully developed life. And, and all of these things sort of come together to create incremental, but life-changing shifts for people. Yeah. Fantastic stuff, Colleen. This is this has been great. Now, you do work with a lot of people long distance too. So mm-hmm. is, is that right? I mean I do. So so you know, how does how does that work? Because there's pro- there there may very well be people listening saying, Gosh, I would love to give this uh give this person a call and and, and maybe see if this is right for me. How how would they do oh, that? Sure. You know, nowadays there's so much therapy done over the phone or through Skype. And I'm always here to support people and available. I, nothing to me beats face-to-face therapy, but we have a lot of you know, close seconds now through modern technology to get us there. So, and, you know, if, if I'm not the one, like I say, you know, at, at the end of this, if it's resonating with people, you know, to maybe call a therapist if they haven't, you know, people always think it's for people who have problems. And I say just the opposite. I mean, it's for people who know that they're supposed to be sort of more in life, right? That they, they want, you know, bigger and greater and more fulfilling lives. So, and to start meditation, you know, right away, two minutes today, and it'll be a success. So it's just so exciting to, to be, like I said, part of this conversation and this, holistic wealth that you're addressing because I just, I think it is uh, so important. Thank you, Colleen. Now, so your website is www.drcolleencrowley.com. That'll be on the website uh, in the little blurb about the podcast. But again, it's drcolleencrowley.com and that's Dr. It's D-R and then C-O-L-L-E-E-N-C-R-O-W-L-E-Y 
Com. Thank you so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. It's uh, been great. Thanks, Buck. I'll see you on the beach, I guess. Huh? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we right. will be right back. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that show with Dr. Colleen Crawley, the lovely Dr. Colleen Crawley. She really is something special. I'll tell you, she's super cool too. She is my neighbor and she's just a lot of fun and just a really dynamic person. And you know, maybe that's what happens to you when you meditate all the time. You become interesting and fun and happy. That's what she is. So at any rate, if you are one of those people who's sort of on this treadmill of success, one thing after another, and you're making, you know, you're starting to make a lot of money, you just can't figure out how to be happy, consider getting in touch with Colleen or somebody like Colleen. Check her out, drcolleencrawley.com. That's also on the website on the blurb about the podcast. So you can just click on there and get there and get in touch with her because life is short, right? And it seems to get faster and faster as you're older. I mean, I'm 44 and oddly seems like the last 10 years have moved quicker than any of the rest of my life. And and part of that is because we're constantly striving. We're not paying attention to everything around us and just allowing ourselves to be happy with where we're at and trying to find a place that you're going to just be happy with. At any rate, that's really what this show is all about today. Now, I do have a favor. Make sure if you haven't done it so far, if you like the show, give me a five-star review on iTunes, because that's the way iTunes ranks these shows. And that's the way we get more and more people listening. And, you know, my mission and, you know, my self-actualization is really about trying to spread the word and try to help people with financial wealth, but also holistic wealth. And I'm certainly not a champion of this myself. I'm still on that journey with you. But, you know, the more people that I can help and touch, that's also helping me, you know, achieve what I want to do in my life. So, you know what? This is a very important thing. So if you can express that and, you know, share the show with your friends and colleagues and, and get them involved with this, it would be greatly appreciate it. That's it for me today. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.